Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the sand. You could never understand. Feel the fortune flowing. You know it isn't stuck. People like to travel. That's why the grass is greener over the fence. We're walkers. Our natural means of travel is to put one foot in front of the other. The bicycle seduces our basic nature by making walking exciting. It lets us take 10-foot strides at 160 paces a minute, that's 20 miles an hour, instead of four or five. It's not only how fast you go, cars are faster and jet planes faster still, but jet plane travel is frustrating boredom. At least the car gives the pictorial illusion of travel. Cycling does it all. You have the complete satisfaction of arriving because your mind has chosen the path and steered you over it. Your eyes have seen it, your muscles have felt it, your breathing, circulatory and digestive systems have all done their natural functions better than ever. And every part of your being knows you have travelled and arrived. That's from John Foster. Pedal your blues away. Forget all your troubles away. Up your bike anytime. That's right. Bring down the cadence a bit. Sit up in the saddle. Take a breath. Step away from the bike. You're listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show here on Community Radio 3CR. That's 855 on your tranny or on the web. Podcasting. Many thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! Always keeping up with what's happening in the American political system. And... Welcome to Nick Dow from Melbourne Bug. Good morning, Nick. Welcome. I'm back again because we're trying to do two shows that are a superficial look at traffic management in the cities. This week, this today, we'll be concentrating more on air quality in our cities. Ah, but first, I've got to say it is one of those beautiful Melbourne days today. There's a light sprattering of precipitation, and it's a lovely day. Nick, have you got a bike moment to share with us? Kick off. Oh, 
Am I on? Yep, I was sure. going down uh, Swanson Street and there was a roadie next to me and he decided he was going to get in front of me. So I channeled Daniel Andrews and thought, I'll be having none of that. Oh, by the way, I'm riding a 25-kilo cargo bike with a 20-kilo dog sitting in the front. <laughs> and he's under 8 kilos. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I just pushed on the pedals a bit harder and and uh, he couldn't get past me. We we got to a set of lights and he said, wow, he said, he said we were nearly breaking the speed limit. There we go. <laughs> you should self-style yourself on the man with rubber pedals. Oh, they just can't leave him alone. <laughs> I'll have to look into that. Uh, um, <laughs> it's not the bike, it's the legs. There we go. It's the heart. It's mu- mu- the muscles and the digestive system. Um, one of those classic ones, I'm walking the dogs in the park and it's a Sunday afternoon and the five-year-olds are obviously a little bit down their track and bike riding, but now they've progressed to chasing each other around the park. It was quite funny to watch. A <laughs> uh, little bit of news. Oh, I've got a bit of a frog in my throat, excuse me. A little bit of news. Um, purposely didn't mention the Tour de France two weeks ago and I wasn't going to mention it today. But um, it seems to have descended into hell on wheels. There was a cyclist uh, thrown out of the tour for punching and fighting. There's been a lot of crowd participation in the um, in the sport, and I think for part of the reason why I didn't stop watching the haven't started watching the tour this year is it seems to be descending into one of those. Horrible examples of a corporate-controlled sport, and that's notwithstanding the beautiful scenery from France. Nick Morlenbug of the Morlen Council have released another strategy, transport strategy. Yeah, we see them come and go. We we do. Um, Interesting. It's um, factful of information. Obviously, councils like Yarra and Morland are population are growing. The uh, demographics of the population are changing as well and they need to then rearrange and look forward to how they are going to accommodate those increases. See, what matters is the facts on the ground and uh, Moral Council's been sympathetic to developers who want to build with without any car parking, so that's a good thing because um, that changes, you know, the... the uh, it changes the nature of the suburb in favour of walking and cycling and public transport just because it changes the facts on the ground. But strategies, strategies come and go. I've participated in Moreland Council strategy exercises for the last 20 years and I've given up, really. There needs to be... Uh, you should be able to take your council to VCAT when they bring out a drawing or make a proposal that you can demonstrate is contrary to their strategy. There should be The strategy should be a legal document that's enforceable. Well, we've had the case this year of something that's not a strategy that's in legislation about improving bike paths along major road changes, and they can dodge that. Yeah, and that's even in law. Strategy isn't even law. It's just a piece of paper that the engineers don't bother reading in any council, as far as I can tell. They're written by the strategic planners, not, and then the engineers just ignore them and get ahead with what their training and their inclination tells them to do, which is to stuff as many cars in as possible. <laughs> The City of Melbourne's in the middle of a similar exercise at the moment too. We're going to talk about that later, aren't we? We are going to talk about that later. Um, And actually, I don't have any more news, so we're going to go to a... a, uh, Every time I do the show, I always bugger up. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. 
one th- uh, just keep talking Nick for a sec I've managed to take the computer out of the Arabug show um, oh this is called dead air folks no well, that's why you've stepped into oh, right. Uh, so we look we should just move on I'm just going to back can I background this by one thing A lot of the we're talking about strategies and strategy papers and discussion papers. Sometimes these things have an awful well, they all do have an awful long time lead up, and of course a time at the other side. I want to sort of look at this question from a way of seeing what's come, be, what's gone on before, and how long this has started to impact on a couple of different things. If I just start off with the advertising campaign in the late 90s and the early 2000s to sell people on the idea of diesel cars. It was a very deliberate program to make diesel cars, especially European-made diesel cars, more popular around the world. And that was a fairly committed campaign. And most of it was sold on diesel cars being cleaner, more efficient and better for the environment. So if we just fast forward a little bit, now we have things happening. I'll I'll use this as one um, step along the road. Britain's a member of uh, the EU and it hasn't left it yet. And being a member of the EU, then it is subject to the laws and regulations of the European Council, one of them being air quality. Now, the air quality in London has been way over the European limit, mostly for uh, nitrogen dioxide and particulate matters, since 2010. They were warned by the European Union that they had to legislate and start doing something about it. Before David Cameron's election, they went to the uh, the Parliament or they put a plan up to the High Court and the High Court knocked it back. There is still no plan about how to bring down London's particulate and nitrous oxic levels. So that's a space of at least, this is 10 years after the fact that when we start to learn things, people like hamburgers we spoke two weeks ago start closing roads to... Um, high-polluting cars. Are we getting any closer to that? Have we got a no. an air quality standard that we have to live up to? There are some standards. Parts of Melbourne's west are breaching the standards on a regular basis, exactly the parts that are going to get all the trucks out of the Westgate boondoggle. It'll get worse. Um, I mean, Melbourne is nowhere near as bad as some cities like London and Paris, and, I mean, don't even think about Shanghai and Beijing and other Chinese cities. Um, and so we're a bit complacent here, but, you know, these are average figures. If you're sitting on Lonsdale Street on the tailpipe of a of a diesel bus, you're copying hundreds of times that, that limit, whatever the average is. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, on certain days, Melbourne's worse than on other days. Um, I mean, the thing about diesels is, I can't remember the specifics, but at least some European countries were actually subsidising diesel passenger vehicles because they bring down carbon dioxide emissions. Yeah, and pump up nitrogen dioxide levels and particulate levels. Well, I mean, in order to uh, 
get around that. The car companies obliged by fudging the figures. And I mean, Volkswagen was only the first to get caught. They're, they're all doing it. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's gone on for a couple of decades and all those cars are still in the fleet. And right. they're here too. And the City of Melbourne's discussion paper says that five of the most six popular types of car in Australia are diesels. Yeah, passenger and, cars, and even their emission standards fall below what the EU or America would have coming out of the end of the tailpipe. Well, well, what their emission standards are, there's actually a lot more coming out than the emission standards yeah. allow for. Yeah, what I what I'm trying here. So in London, England, Europe, and Manchester suffers from just the worst problem. The mechanism is that the EU regulations say you must have an effective policy to get these levels down. And they've tried to put two things to the High Court, but knocked back twice. So they're trying to enforce the regulations. But you can see is eight, this is nearly 15 years of obfuscation about how to get it done. Yeah, that's near you here. We're not even trying. No, this, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, but we haven't got something like that to say, this is a standard that you need to apply to the air quality in your city. Well, there are air quality standards. The EPA publishes their reports. And like I say, Melbourne is generally within the air quality standards. We don't have a problem of the scale of Manchester or London. That doesn't mean we should be sitting on our hands and not doing anything about it. And in certain areas, like in this, in this central city where I live, uh, it's a lot worse than the average. Of course it is. And, and Melbourne's West, as I should mention uh, again. It's, um, and, and look, I shouldn't pick on England because they're not the only way. Um, the uh, EU Commission singled out UK, Germany, Italy, Luxembourg um, over their alleged failure to have effective, dissuasive penalty systems in place to de- deter car manufacturers from breaking the law. And one of the industry commissions said, we will only succeed in fighting urban pollution if the car sector plays its part. Manufacturers that keep disregarding the law have to bear the consequences of their wrongdoing. They're actually targeting the manufacturers as well. What you just read out says they're targeting the government for not enforcing it on the manufacturers, so it's the government's fault. (laughs) Apparently not the manufacturers' fault. And probably playing on the company's social conscience that actually if you don't apply to these standards, I mean, we can shame you into actually not doing it. Yeah, but it's true. When it, when it comes out, it's very embarrassing for the company. Obviously, it doesn't stop them from doing it because they've been doing it. Yeah. You know, they think they can get away with it. And that's the same of criminology generally. Uh, laws are only effective if people have a high probability. If they feel that they have a high probability of that, it will be detected. That's not what the head of the IPA says. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, <laughs> and look, the Gina Reinhardt Association, you're talking about? Yes. Anyway, no. Look, and I should move on from this because it's, I'm, I'm trying to look at how politically you can start to enforce these things. So, the Mayor of London next year wants to put two more uh, or make uh, two more zones in the London traffic. So, if you emit a certain amount of emissions, you will pay more to come into those ring roads around the city. Yeah, I mean, people talk about a congestion tax for Melbourne, and again, it hasn't got legs. Um, you know, we're prepared to allow private toll road owners to fleece the public, but we're not pre- we're not prepared to pay for uh, to have to pay to put our cars on the roads that are already crowded, where we're polluting and where we're taking up space and getting in everyone's way. Um, I mean, some people say congestion isn't bad enough to need a congestion tax. The reality is, it's just politically unpopular. Yeah. Um, 
But this isn't a congestion tax. This is if you're driving an old mm. diesel and you want to drive it into the two inner rings of London, you're going to have to pay a lot more to get there. Well, everyone's paying. That's the congestion tax. I know, but and, this and, is and on top pol- of it. polluting cars pay more. That's yeah. right. And, uh, you know, look, pricing's quite a good mechanism because if you really need to do something, you can still do it if you're prepared to pay, but it just changes the averages. Um, and people make different long-term decisions. So it's quite a good way to go. And, you know, I mean, we've got the technology. We could put toll gates all around the inner city um, and charge to get in there. Just to, this, And this is part of this whole thing. I mean, the push has really come, this push from uh, the Mayor of London, came from a study done around schools, about the air quality around schools. This is where it originally started from. So the estimation is that there are probably about 40,000 deaths a year in the UK um, from uh, air pollution, as well as the big thing that's happening, of course, if you get a start to get um, distressed or pollution in your lungs when you're a young age, you actually have lifelong health consequences. Your lungs don't grow properly. You're more susceptible to asthma, and I think everybody can see that the asthma rates are rising. This can be driven from a from that end as well. Mm, the UK is also the place where individual schools are making rules about uh, not being able to drive up to the school with your kid. And that's why. They're having a thing they call park and stride where you have to park <laughs> half, a, half a mile away uh, and there's no cars around the school and so the kids who arrive by walking or cycling are a lot safer. Uh, that's, that's just a gr- grassroots action by individual schools. Yeah. And now backed up by health studies that show that actually the cars are doing damage to the children. Mm. Still, it's still hard to push it through. Yeah, well, I mean, the UK has always been very car-centric. You know, the wealthy people got the cars first. and But it is still uh, has got a lot of older cities that were built before the car. It's not a wide-open spaces country like the US and Australia and Canada. Um, and so they're making, you know, they have their problems are worse and they're making more progress here. We're just so, so much in love with our far-flung suburbs and our wide roads. Oh, they're prepared to make changes. It's the Australian way. Mm, it is. Part of the point is, and if we speak about Volkswagen and all this publicity, Volkswagen's not going out of business anytime soon. Look, I haven't looked at their balance sheet, but... Uh, <laughs> Volkswagen, interesting, they're about the only company that didn't get merged into one of the four big four big giants of the motor industry. But um, other than that, I can't... I, their shares have fallen, but they haven't fallen to zero. So, yep, you're absolutely right. They're still there. I mean, they they won't fold because they'll just change what they do. They'll keep making cars. Yeah, and they'll now start to comply with the law. Oh, maybe. I'll find new ways of getting around it. Um, I mean, all the car manufacturers are ready to go with electric cars. Um, and, uh, you know, the government can switch them on. I mean, you notice that France wasn't mentioned in your list of countries that the EU pointed their finger at. Targeted. No, no, no. It was mentioned in the air pollution statistics. Those four I mentioned were the ones that haven't haven't created any legislation to make car manufacturers stick to the regulations. Yeah, and, you know, Paris is the city that's getting rid of cars faster than anywhere else. Well, that's not true. Oslo is getting rid of them much faster. Like, I mean, getting rid of them completely in the city centre, and that's a plan. But France generally is doing a lot better. Don't know why. They have more diesel cars in France, so that's the other problem. Do they? Yes, they do. 
Well, I can see a solution there because when you outlaw them all, it means they'll lose a lot more cars than anywhere else. And the roads will be like nice and empty. We can't even get governments to make regulations that actually make it the air that we breathe safe. No. And when they do make the regulations, they don't enforce them. That's right. And if you ride a motorbike, you probably think you're doing the right thing because you're producing less carbon dioxide. That's true. But you're also producing more of the pollution that kills people quickly per passenger kilometre than any other form of transport, uh, including moon rockets. My memory's not good. How long did it take us to get rid of lead in petrol? Uh, well, I guess what you're asking is when did it go When out? was the decision to say we yeah, should ban oh, this it's stuff? several decades ago now. You, you know you can now drink the tank, tank water that comes off the roof of your house. You couldn't do that before because of lead pollution. Um, but they replaced lead with other anti-knock agents. Yep. Um, I think, are they called polyaromatic hydrocarbons? They're, they're off the chart for cancer risk. Yep. And the EPA refuses to have a standard for them. So this is what I mean. We actually knew lead was damaging people, but it still took us a while to do it. But when we decided to take it out, we did take it out. That's right, and we replaced it with something that's probably pretty bad, but nobody wants to know about that. When we discovered that CFCs were damaging the ozone, that didn't take long to meet together and come into an arrangement. That's often cited as a big success. The reason is that there were alternatives. Yeah. It's interesting that some... some, uh, Factories in China have been producing it again illegally, yep. <laughs> and they're admitting to it now. Um, and this was detected. But yeah, now that's a success story. So why is it so difficult to do with cars? Simply because people are wedded to their cars. It's a massive industry, and the alternatives are things like public transport, buses, bikes, etc. Uh, that people, you know, the man in the street doesn't want it because they don't understand the change to their lifestyle, and they they view the car. I have some sympathy with them. The car is a necessity for their life because of the way we've built our cities. Our cities, yeah. So it's much harder to shift. So that's, I mean, that regulation, that planning is all top down. Um, hey, not having a regulation to, well, that's to what actually regulation penalise. Planning is. That's, what hey. gov- that's what regulation planning is. It's what governments do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, individuals make choices to, you know, use public transport or ride a bike or, or get an electric car or put panels on their roof. They, but they, the problem with that is that, you know, why should the individual bear the cost when everybody else is still going to hell in a handbasket? So you need government regulation to achieve, you know, the big changes. But it's interesting, again, the federal government's doing nothing much about greenhouse gas emissions or, or worse. And the states and the cities and the private companies are doing it. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll exceed the targets that the federal government wants to set uh, before they even get their plan in place because of what others are doing. So there's room for grassroots action, and there's, and, but there's an important role for government. Yeah, so the big miner in South Australia builds a solar panel plant. Why do they build that? Because they it's, want to have energy security. It's cheaper Yeah. as well, yeah. Um, so it's happening. But the, the change to the roads is much harder to make it happen for sort of ecological reasons because obviously no one wants to ride a bike when there's, they've got to share the road with the killer cars. And so, you know, nobody's swimming across the river, so we don't build the bridge. No. Um, look, I can't... Um, I put the link up to um, uh, the Institute of Sensible Transport uh, report up on the website last week, up on the podcast. It's worth going back and having a, a really a look at that if you want to get a snapshot of what Melbourne's air quality looks like now. And it's tied, then tied into... How are we going to... I mean, we signed the Paris Agreement. We've got to meet that, what is it, 26 to 28 reduction 
by 2030, isn't it? Yep. And if we don't change, this is what this report makes so abundantly clear. If in a no-change position, we're way over that. Even with a fairly strong change, we will struggle to meet that target. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that it was Tony Abbott that signed up to Paris, but then did everything possible to undermine actually achieving the goals. Um, But even Paris is too little too late. Um, So we're back to talking about carbon dioxide emissions now. Um, In the overall scheme of things, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we need fast action and we need decisive action, so why are we building massive freeways? No answer to that question, is Well, I'm certainly not going to try. I mean, it doesn't make sense to invest. I mean, you could say, oh, well, electric vehicles are coming. Yeah, but, well... Oh. Too little, too late. Too little, too late. And there's massive embodied energy in them. Um, uh, you know, it's not a coherent policy. And, of course, the other thing is that this report, I would still encourage anybody, everybody to read it. There are some wonderful examples for traffic calming in London, San Francisco, Amsterdam. Well, look, even our engineers know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So not a, you know, it's not a locked away in a Soviet safe about how do you calm roads down. Like the Novichok formula. Yeah, but, I mean... Actually, in the report, it highlights, he does the numbers that if you replaced all the cars with electric cars. What's the embodied energy in replacing the entire car fleet? And well, what would the subsidy have to do to buy all the old cars and, and, and so trash our, them? The, the estimate is our electric consumption would go up by 84%. Yeah, that's, per, that's at the household level. Um, and households don't produce, don't consume all the electricity. No, but no, we're just talking about the driving the car, that's electric right, car. Households replacing their car, yeah. yeah. So in terms of a, the country's overall, that's right. And so how would you do that? Well, you'd have to put a tax on the electric cars so that they paid for extra renewables. Otherwise, they would just extend the life of the coal fired power stations get the to meet the demand. From? Oh, well, you'd have to build renewables. We can build the renewables. Yeah, yeah. That's not a problem. But it costs money to build the renewables. I know. And we're building them as fast as we can go at the moment, as fast as policy is driving them. And it's still like we're 30, 40 years off, off getting rid ready. of fossil fuels. So if you double the consumption of electricity by putting the cars on it, you're going to double the time it takes or something to, to get rid back. of the coal-fired power stations uh, unless you force the electric cars to also invest in, invest in renewables. But, of course, you don't want to provide negative subsidies to electric cars. So that no. would mean you'd have to make sure the petrol-driven cars are paying even more. And, of course, it would make bad emission. Now, can you see any unaffe- Premier doing give that? Give us a sec. Unaffected. <laughs> coal-fired power stations a longer life. Well, that's right, because you'd have to meet all that electricity demand. Yeah. Unless you ramped up the renewables, which would require massive financial intervention. So the petrol cars would have to pay for it. I mean, it's just, it's just politically not, not feasible. Even, you know, even if I was the Premier, I probably couldn't get away with it. Um, so you have to find other ways of doing it. And you certainly don't go building massive freeways. It just makes it harder. So so just to paraphrase a couple of things, so if we're looking at Europe, England, as we've looked at about air quality, they've got regulations, go to it. Here we've got nothing. What is, and you can tell by the way Melbourne City Council's approaching this and other councils are approaching this, at a local ground level at the corner of Collins Street and Swanson Street, how do you get that bit? We we haven't even got the regulation. Well, this is an example where... um don't wait for the federal government. Don't wait for the state government. The city can do it. Yeah. Collins Street is a local street. As we discussed two weeks ago, it's not a declared road. Um, the city can do things. Um, the city, and in its discussion paper, it's got a what if. It says, what if there was no through traffic in the Hoddle Grid? There yeah. was only local access. 
Well, I can tell you what if. There'd be about one-tenth of the cars and trucks. Yeah. There's an amazing amount of through traffic in the city. The city has it in its power to do this, and it can do it without... Um, Without waiting for you know governments, yeah. So abs- absolutely, we can, and and uh, a lot of people say you know the future is probably in the hands of the cities because governments are owned by the fossil fuel lobby, and the and the and transurban and so on. So and they've found a way of neutering, or in Melbourne we've found a way of neutering the Melbourne City Council. When I was talking about Sadakan uh, making those new regulations to high emission circles, he controls London. Yeah, he's the government of Greater London, and he's got a lot of independence. The councils in Australia are the creature of state government legislation, and the state governments can do whatever they want. They can they can sack the council, they can direct the council, they can put on administrators on, and so on. But um, and you know, I've watched the city of Melbourne negotiating with the state, and the state's also got a lot of other levers, like in. Uh, near the bottom of the Tullamarine Freeway, they wanted to take some of the parkland to make the road wider, and the council said no. So, so Vic Road said, OK, we're not going to give you any money for anything. Yeah. So, you know, no pedestrian crossings, no money for changing local streets. Uh, that that's In any other circles, that would simply be called blackmail and extortion. Um, and the council had to give in and give up some parkland. Oh, so yeah. councils are pretty much under the thumb of state in a and, lot of ways. But that- the city of Melbourne is the most powerful council. They carry a lot of weight. And they negotiate with the state. Sometimes the state says no, but there are some things the state would find very hard to say no to. Yeah. And if you look at this on a longer time frame, if the next 10 years, which Melbourne City got, well, they're trying to look forward 30 years and to look forward about what it's going to look like and what the air quality will be like. Hey, you just need to look out the window. <laughs> You're starting to sound like you come from Microsoft again. <laughs> well, it's there on the streets right now. I mean, you know, it can't get worse. They're already clogged. Right. Um, we're going to wrap it up. Nick, thank you very much for coming in. Great pleasure as always. You've been listening to the Arabug Show here on 3CR, Community Radio 3CR. All the announcers are volunteers at 3CR. And if you haven't sent in a donation to um, the Radio Thonk, it's never too late to donate a little bit of money um, to community radio. Up next is Jailbreak. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.